If you please stand with us and let's worship together.
Amen, amen. Aren't you thankful for the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Amen? Well, while you're standing, go ahead and take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, if you'll return to your seats, you may be seated. Man, I can just feel the excitement in this room of Vacation Bible School. I pray you have this much excitement Friday night about 8.30 when the end of the week is over. So while we were in Ecuador, we did some Vacation Bible School, and there was an Ecuadorian, his name was Byron, and Byron was the hype man. Like, if you think I have energy when it comes to Bible school, like, he was 10 times more. Um, he was incredible. And the first day, he dressed up like Scooby-Doo, and it was just amazing. Um, and he, he brought the hype and the energy. So I expect this week all of you to bring the excitement and the energy. And doesn't this stage look amazing? All the decorations are incredible. And, and I personally love, as a kid who grew up in the 80s and 90s, that Super Mario has become popular again. And here's what I'm learning for you young folks. Everything that was once popular eventually just cycles back around. So some of the stuff that you look back at 30, 40, 50 years ago and you think, man, that was weird, just wait. It'll be popular again. Um, and so, well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're thankful that you're here. If this is your first time with us and I see some visitors this morning, we would appreciate if you would let us know if this is your first time. You can do that a couple ways. There's a QR code in the bulletin that you can scan and fill out some stuff online, or there's some Connect cards out in the foyer if you could take a moment and fill uh, those out. We are excited to be in the house of the Lord. One thing that we try to do about once a month is emphasize a mission, something that we're supporting or helping. And so this month, on two different occasions, we're going to have a chance to help the Georgia Baptist Children's Home in Palmetto. And so we want to have a time of prayer for them in just a moment. In the bulletin, you'll see that on July 29th at 8 a.m., we have a ministry service opportunity. We're going to do some organizing in their food pantry. There's going to be some outdoor cleanup. We need you to sign up if you are interested in helping or you plan to, to serve and to help. The sign-up sheet is at the Connect board. Go ahead and sign up. 
This week for our VBS, every year we do a missions emphasis. One year we raise money to do audio Bibles uh, so that the mosque could pass those out in Ecuador. This year we're partnering with the Georgia Baptist Children's Home. So you should have received an email that lists the different items that you can bring in or you can go purchase gift cards. You will bring those in each night and we'll have a competition to see how much we can bring in. The trailer that's out there, it's not labeled, but that's for the Georgia Baptist Children's Home. So we'll put all the stuff in there, and they'll come pick it up at the end of the week. And so they do great work ministering um, a, a lot of it with foster children, foster homes, just loving on kids that don't have a family, that are in a state of uncertainty um, in their home life. Um, and so it's right up the road. And so we're going to minister and partner with them this week. And so let's just have a time of prayer for them and for Vacation Bible School, and then we're going to sing a couple more songs, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name and Glorify Thy Name. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a joy it is to gather with your people. God, there's a lot of people this morning that don't have that. Maybe they're in some remote parts of the world, and they're a follower of Jesus Christ, and maybe they're the only believer in that village. Maybe there isn't a church to gather a group of believers that they can do life with. Father, for some this morning, they're just, they're just unbelievers. They're not saved, and therefore, they see no need to gather with the church, with the people of Jesus Christ. Some this morning are, are followers of Jesus. They claim to be believers, but they're just not involved in a church. They're sitting at home, thinking about many other things. But God, for those of us who are here today, we felt the need and the importance to gather as the church. We've already sung praises. My heart has already been, has been encouraged just in singing songs of worship. Father, I'm thankful this morning for Vacation Bible School, the impact that it's had upon the men and women, the boys and girls in this room, the impact that it's going to have this week. Father, we have over 100 kids registered, which is a huge praise. And Lord, we have about as many volunteers, which is a huge praise that we have a church who, who is able and wants to help, wants to assist, wants to love on kiddos, and just sees the importance of sharing the gospel. And that's what this week is about. It's about sharing the gospel, planting more and more seeds of the gospel in these boys and girls' hearts. Father, I'm not one who tries to manipulate, tries to plead with kids to give their life to Jesus. I know that we can scare kids into doing that. I've seen it. God, that turned me off. That's not my mentality. So my prayer this week, Spirit of God, is that you'll do the work in these boys' and girls' hearts, that you'll transform them. And in the course of hearing about Jesus and their Bible stories, they're going to have a desire to want to know more, and they'll reach out to a teacher, reach out to their parents, come to me and say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. And that we can say this is a work that the Holy Spirit did in bringing them from death to life. Father, we do pray for salvations this week. We do pray that boys and girls would be encouraged with the hope that is in Jesus Christ, that they would understand that their sins can be forgiven, that there is a living hope in Christ. And while we're loving on these kids here, the reality is there are many, many, many kids in the state of Georgia and all across the world who are orphans and who are homeless. No father, no mother, no grandparent, no aunt or uncle who will love on them, bring them to church, teach them about Jesus, protect them, provide for them. Lord, they're being hurt, abused, neglected, 
And because of that, there are things in places like the Georgia Baptist Children's Home that we wish did not have to exist, but they do because there's a need. And this week, we can partner with them to help restock their closet, to help do some cleanup work uh, at the end of the month. But this week, primarily bringing in things so that we can restock that closet. So, Father, may we give generously, sacrificially, but most of all, may we just pray for the work that's being done there that's impacting these boys and girls and even teenagers as they're loving on them and sharing the gospel with them. We're thankful for the work that they do, and we pray that that work will continue for your glory and your honor. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, would you stand? Let's sing about the powerful name of Jesus.
Amen. Amen. All right, at this time, our kiddos are going to make their way to Children's Church. Both of our classes are going to head that way. Oh, excuse me. Everybody else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 2. As we continue our study this summer, and it'll overlap into September probably as well, but Esther chapter 2, I don't know what the bulletin says, yeah the bulletin says we're going through chapter 3 verse 15, that was the plan at the beginning of the week, but we're only going to finish chapter 2 this morning, so we're going to save chapter 3 for next week, so Esther chapter 2. John Flavel, Flavel, I've heard it pronounced both different ways, said providence, providence is like a Hebrew word. It is only understood when read backwards. So providence is like a Hebrew word. It is only understood when read backwards. Now, I can't assume that everybody understands what all of that means, so let me unpack it for a moment. Providence, when we talk about providence, God's providence, we are talking about to simplify this God's oversight of his creation or God's sovereign working in and through everyday life. So what God's doing, how he's working in and through everyday life. So providence is like a Hebrew word. If you don't think about Hebrew, you read Hebrews, Hebrew backwards, the language from right to left, you read it backwards. So his point is, in the moment, in the present, we don't always understand and know what God is doing. And it's only... When we begin to look back, that we can see the hand of God and how he was weaving both significant and what seems like insignificant things in our life together for his glory. Let me, let me illustrate this. Um, Corey Ten Boom, many of you know that name, lived during World War II, uh, was famous for the book The Hiding Place. They built this room where they were hiding Jews, keeping them safe. There's a museum for her in her honor. She was a follower of Jesus Christ. They found out they were hiding Jews. They took her, put her in a concentration camp. She suffered greatly. She wrote about it in the hiding place. In the museum, there is this, this. This is the backside of what this is. This looks like something I would do. Like, I could do that. Like, you can make out a little bit of the shape, what it is, but that's the backside. And if you're honest, you might say, Pastor, that's what my life looks like. I mean, my life looks like a hot mess. Like, I don't really know what God's doing. I can't make sense of it. This is all I see in the moment. But the other picture, when you look at it from the front side, looks very different. And sometimes we have to advance in life before we can look back at our life and it looks clear. In the moment, it's like what it looks like on the left. Then we begin to see that God was really working all the time. You can leave that up there for just another moment. Because in the book, The Hiding Place, she has a poem called Life is But a Weaving. That's what this sermon is entitled, Life is But a Weaving. Listen to the poem. Life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttle cease to fly, will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. 
The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. As we look at these four verses this morning, what we're going to see is an event that unfolds that seems significant, and it is significant because a life is saved. But at the same time, there's something happened that seems insignificant, something that does not happen to Mordecai, which in the moment seems insignificant, but what we're going to realize in a couple chapters, what doesn't happen to Mordecai right here looms large as we fast forward, and we call this the providence of God. Now, you may say, Pastor, you preached on the providence of God a lot already in Esther. Yes, and I'm going to do it again today because here's why. I believe this is one of the most critical things that you and I need to understand and to put within our heart. And we're going to circle back to God's providence and talk a little bit more about it. But first, let's work through these verses, and then we got two main truths that I want to apply to our life. So Esther chapter 2, verse 19. Again, keeping with what we're doing in Esther, but not my normal practice. We're not going to read all the verses up front. We're just going to work through them verse by verse. So we begin in verse 19, Esther chapter 2. I hope you have your copy of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, let's stop there. What is this referring to? It could be two different things. It could be referring to the virgins moving from the first harem to the second harem. So remember, all these young, beautiful women were gathered in. This is Esther chapter 2, against their own will. They're prepared for one year for a one-night stand with the king. Whoever wins his favor the most, pleases him the most, will become the queen. Esther gets that. She becomes the queen. And so this could simply be these ladies who were left moving them to the second harem of Shazgaz, which we've already read about in Esther chapter 2. Or it could be referring to what the language says, a second gathering of women. Do we really believe that suddenly the king, we've already learned a lot about him, do we really believe all of a sudden he's going to become this faithful, moral man? Probably not. And so it could very well refer to a second gathering of these young, beautiful women that he takes and they try to please him. It could be either one of those. The author doesn't specifically tell us, but it's referring to something along those lines. But now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. We were introduced to Mordecai last week earlier in chapter 2, but I didn't say much about him. But he kind of becomes front and center, at least in these four verses. So who is Mordecai? Go back to, go back to verse 5 of chapter 2. Now there was a Jew in Susa. Mordecai is a Jew. He's of the people of God. From Abraham, Isaac, right? He's of that line. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's, he's a descendant. He is a Jew. In Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai. And then we kind of get his family tree, his lineage. The son of Jer, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Now, most commentaries say son of Kish. That Kish, maybe was his father, or a grandfather that's a descendant, but what the author is also doing is he's taking us back to another Kish, a Kish that we read about in 1 Samuel. That Kish had a son named, anybody know? Saul. 
Saul becomes what? King. He becomes king of Israel. Now, why is that important? Because next week, in chapter 3, we're introduced to another main character in the story, Haman. And we see his line. And what we're going to find is his line, and then Saul in his line, right, it goes back to Saul, and something Saul didn't do, right, with, with a certain group of people, and so it all kind of ties together, and so the author could be just foreshadowing, getting our attention back to Saul. So we see his family line there. We know that he's in exile. He was taken out of Jerusalem, taken into Babylon. We know that he has adopted Esther, who's now the queen. And in verse 19, we read that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. So Mordecai, at this point, probably because of his connection with Esther, who's now the queen and he's raising Esther, is some sort of official for the king. Maybe a civil servant, but he is some sort of official. And he's at the king's gate. Warren Wearsby writes, In the east, the gate was the equivalent of our modern law courts, the place where important official business was transacted. This is not a gate that you would have on your fence. Like this was a gate, a massive gate, massive area where they would do the law, the business. It would take place here. It was an important place. That's where Mordecai is sitting. Verse 20, Esther, just reminding us, the author's reminding us, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. So Esther is still concealing her identity. Nobody knows she's a Jew. We continue. Verse 21. In those days, now in those days, is sometime between the seventh year of the king's reign, chapter 2, verse 16, and the twelfth year of his reign, chapter 3, verse 7. So some point in those years, this event that we're about to read takes place. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, okay, who are these guys? Two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, meaning they had close access to the king, and they were guarding it. They guarded the threshold. They became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. For some reason, they want the king dead. That lay hands on, that's idiom for they're going to try to assassinate him. They're going to try to take out the king. Verse 22. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. Right? He's there at the gate. He overhears of this plot. This came to the knowledge of Mordecai. He told it to Queen Esther. Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. So Mordecai begins to hear word. Man, the king's life is in danger. These two dudes want to take out the king. What does he do? He goes to Esther. Esther goes to the king. The king knows that Mordecai is the one who heard. Esther makes sure Mordecai gets the credit. And then verse 23, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, so they research it. Is this true? Yes, it's true. The men were both hanged on the gallows. That Hebrew could be hanged on the gallows or impaled to a stake, either one. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So both men are executed. The threat, silenced. They're done. Way to go, Mordecai. So what is happening in these four verses? What is God doing in these four verses. Well, the immediate thing that he's doing is he's rescuing the king. He's saving the king. The king is going to be assassinated. He uses Mordecai to be that middleman to save the king. That's the significant event of Esther chapter 2, 19 through 23. Bush writes, Mordecai's presence in the palace 
both gives him opportunity to discover the plot against the king and permits him access to Esther to report it. So he's in a place where he can hear, he's at the gate, he's been elevated, and he's got connections with Esther. He tells Esther, the king is spared. That's what's ultimately happening in these four verses. Now, for the rest of our time, I want to consider two things. Number one, I want to consider Mordecai and what doesn't happen to him. What doesn't happen to him. And secondly, I want us to consider God's providence. We're going to come back to that. God's providence and what doesn't happen to Mordecai that will prepare the way for a future event. So what doesn't happen to Mordecai? Look at verse 23 and pay attention. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Mordecai, it's recorded in the book of Chronicles. It's closed, and it's done. What does not happen to Mordecai here? Mordecai just saved the king's life. Like, if you were the one who spared an assassination attempt on the president, you think you would be paraded in front of people. This dude just saved the life of the president. Mordecai just saved the life of the king. And all that happens is it's recorded. He is never rewarded. Never recognized. Not a pat on the back, nothing, just written down and closed. So let me ask you a question. How do you feel when you do the right thing and don't get rewarded? When you do the right thing and nobody recognizes the fact that you did the right thing. Let's be honest. Mordecai chose to do the right thing. Would we really have blamed him? If he got word of the assassination and he said, you know what, that king, what he has done to all of these young men and women in his kingdom, that king who took the young lady that I was raising, the one that I loved as my daughter, the one who took her out of my home, made her to sleep with him, and now she becomes the queen. Would we have blamed him if he just sat on that news and let the king die? Maybe not. But Mordecai does the right thing. He hears of an assassination attempt, and regardless of how he feels about the king, he makes sure the king gets word so the king is spared, and he doesn't get rewarded. Mordecai saves the king. And in fact, it will get even worse for Mordecai. Because not only does he not get rewarded and promoted, in chapter 3, what becomes his enemy, Haman, he gets promoted. The man who hates the Jews and wants all of them to be annihilated, he gets promoted, and so things are about to get even worse for Mordecai. Listen, you and I live in a society that gets rewarded for everything. Everyone gets a participation trophy. You were the worst kid on the team, but good job. Participation trophy for you. Your team didn't win a game, but we got a trophy just for you. Right? We, everybody gets rewarded in our society. And parents, if we're honest, and man, we hate to admit it, sometimes that's the only way we get our kids to do anything. Is we have to promise a reward. If you do this, we will 
we'll take you to McDonald's if you're cheap. Or if you do this, we'll take you to Disney World if you have lots of money. Like whatever your reward is, we're going to reward you for doing what you're supposed to do. Our human nature and our sin nature longs to be rewarded, longs to be recognized, longs to be praised. But here's the deal. Here's a point of application I want to make before we come back to what the real purpose of this text is. The application is this. Doing the right thing isn't about reward or recognition. It's not about being rewarded for doing the right thing or recognized for doing the right thing. And here's what you and I need to understand as citizens of God's kingdom. We don't do what is right. And we don't serve God to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be rewarded, to be patted on the back, to say, boy, a girl, way to go. That's not why we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We do the right thing because it's the right thing. And ultimately, our desire is to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So whether anyone else sees or not, or anyone else knows, we want to do the right thing. And we know this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we know we ought to do what we do to honor Jesus and not ourselves. And yet, if we're honest, we struggle with this at times so much. Because our flesh still wants that instant gratification. Our flesh wants the, hey, that was amazing. You crushed it. You were incredible. We want the recognition. We want the praise. That's what our flesh craves. And it craves that because at the core, we are proud human beings. We struggle with pride. Earlier this week, I was reading in my personal quiet time in Psalm chapter 5. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Psalm chapter 5, listen to these words. Verse 4, for you are not a God who delights wickedness. As you think about the king, you think God was in heaven delighting in all of this wickedness the king was doing? Absolutely not. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. The boastful will not inherit the kingdom of God. The proud will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. How do we go from the boastful will not um, stand before you to now in verse 11, those who love your name may exalt you. How do we deal with our pride? Can I give you some good news? The good news is Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Because left to yourself, in your sin, a wretch sinner that you are, you will never enter into the kingdom of God. Because your pride will never allow you to say, Jesus Christ, save me, I need you, I can't do this alone. Proud people will spend an eternity in hell. And it's the main reason many people will never come to Jesus because they don't think they need Jesus. Why? Because I'm good. I've got this. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. That's all pride. So what we need is we need Jesus Christ who humbled himself, who humbled himself to the point of death. Jesus who died on the cross in my place so that my pride and my sinfulness and my wickedness can be 
dealt with, so it could be nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ, so that I can receive his forgiveness, so that the wrath of God will be poured out upon Christ and not myself, so that when I stand before Jesus, I don't stand saying, Jesus, look at me, God, the Father, look at me. I stand before the Father and I say, Father, look to Jesus, because that's who I'm looking to, because it's all in Jesus. But it's our pride that gets in the way, not only of our being saved, but every single day of our life as a follower of Jesus. Listen to what Landon Down writes. As a believer who lives in a corrupt and fallen world, do not be surprised if no one thanks you for being a Christian. And that hit me. Like there was a time in an age when being a Christian was advantageous to you. Your business, to say, hey, I'm a Christian, that got you some street cred. Like, oh, this, I can trust this guy. He's a, he's a Christian. But in today's day and age, to say I'm a Christian is almost the exact opposite. Oh, wait, that means you believe this, this, and this, and you think that this is the way it is, and, and it, I, it alienates you, it isolates you. And so listen, don't be surprised if you say, hi, I'm a Christian, that other people are going, all right, man, I'm glad you're a Christian. And in fact, we shouldn't expect it to be, because what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? And then we're going to go into the last point. Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. That's where your reward is, in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let me encourage you before we move on. Hear me, brothers and sisters. God sees everything that you do. He sees it all. He knows it all. That can be encouraging or terrifying. But if you're a follower of Jesus, when you serve him, he sees. He sees. Yes, you may suffer now. Yes, you may experience persecution now. Yes, your good deeds may never get recognized now. You may be Mordecai, overlooked, forgotten, not recognized. But hear me, God knows and he sees and one day one day you will receive your reward and your crown for he will never forget second thing God's providence in what doesn't happen to Mordecai Mordecai is not being recognized if you think about it seems insignificant I mean I'm sure it was an ego blow maybe to him like, man, I just saved your life, and you're going to write me in a book and close it, and that's it? Like, no promotion, not the right-hand man? Like, can I replace Big Thin or this other guy? Can I be them? Nothing. He's overlooked. And we say, well, that's insignificant. But what did we say at the beginning of the message? Providence is like a Hebrew word. It is only understood when read backwards. So what seems to be insignificant is actually critical. And when we, probably in a month or two, come to Esther chapter 6 you're going to see just how critical it really is that he wasn't recognized then so that in Esther chapter 6, he can be recognized at that moment and how God is using that for his glory. So what's God doing here? Well, in these verses, primarily, he's saving a king's life. But he's doing something else. And Mordecai not being recognized, he in essence is going to save Mordecai's life when he's recognized in Esther chapter 6. 
But more than that, God is going to save an entire people, the Jews. God has a purpose in everything he does. Even the seemingly insignificant things of life, God can use them. So let me ask you this question. What is God doing in your life right now? What's God doing in your life right now? Maybe you know. Maybe you can pinpoint God's doing this. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I don't have a clue. My life is a hot mess right now. I don't know what he's doing. Can I tell you at least three things that he's doing right now in your life? Because this is true of God's providence. This is what the Westminster Shorter Catechism lays out about the providence of God. God right now, everything that he's doing in your life is holy. Everything he's doing in your life is holy. In other words, God is not responsible for any of the evil or any of the wickedness that's happening to you. Good news, God can use that evil and wickedness and tragedy for his glory. He's not responsible. So if there's any sin happening in your life, you can't blame God. Because everything God does in your life is holy because he is holy. Here's the other thing. Everything God's doing in your life right now is wise because he's all wise. God knows what is best for you. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, God is all wise. He knows what he's doing and what he's doing is best. And third, what God is doing in your life is all powerful. Because God is able to work all things together for good. So in this moment, you may not understand. In this moment, you may not be able to see what God is doing. But what he's doing is it's holy, it's wise, and it's all powerful. Let me illustrate this a couple ways. This week I was reminded of the story of Mikhail Riley. Mikhail Riley. In 1994, Mikhail is nine years old. Now, I could be saying that name wrong, but I found an NBA draft, and this is how they see you pronounce his name, Mikhail. It's not spelled that way, but Mikhail. 1994, he's nine years old. His aunt is shot and killed. It was a tragedy. And I'm sure, like anybody who goes through a tragedy, the questions are asked, why? Mikhail's grandmother, with the life insurance money that's left over, builds a basketball court for Mikhail. They live in a rough neighborhood. I'm sure her intention was, man, I want him to get out of this neighborhood. I want him to be safe. So she builds a basketball court. He learns to play basketball. Now, fast forward. I remember this moment because I was watching, and many of you in this room will remember because of the closeness to where it happened. Fast forward to March 14, 2008, at the SEC basketball tournament played in the Georgia Dome right up the road here. Mikhail played for the University of Alabama. Yes, they have a basketball program. I know you guys know football. They got a basketball program. He played for Alabama, and they were playing against Mississippi State. Alabama had the ball with a couple seconds left in the game, down three points. Around 9.30 p.m., McHale hits a three to tie the game and send it into overtime. Eight minutes later, eight minutes later, With two minutes and 11 seconds left on the clock in overtime, a roaring sound is heard inside the Georgia Dome. A tornado with winds of 120 miles passes just north of the dome. There are 14,825 people in attendance inside the Georgia Dome. No one was injured. Had McHale missed that three in the game, not gone into overtime, 14,000 people would have been in the streets as that tornado comes ripping through downtown Atlanta. In the dome, though the dome was damaged, they had to move the rest of the tournament off-site. Kentucky got upset by Georgia. Boo, we move on. All right, all this happens, right? 
Not part of the story. Ignore that part, right? But these people are spared. They're saved. It's known as the three-pointer, the shot that saved lives. Now, Mikhail, his own confession, read it in the Sports Illustrated article this week, believes God's word when it says, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Now, I can't say this definitively. I'm about to give you an example where I can say it definitively. But here's what I think you can trace. God used tragedy, his aunt passing away, life insurance money, building a basketball court, giving him a way out, him learning basketball, his ability to get a scholarship at the University of Alabama that plays in the SEC tournament that happens to be in that game. God uses him to hit a three-pointer that kept 14,000 people inside when they all could have died outside. Coincidence? I believe God's providence. Did they have a clue? No, but Mikhail believes that by his own admission in the Sports Illustrated article. Now, let me give you an illustration from my life. 1992. Many of you have heard this. A lot of you are new. You haven't heard this story. In 1992, entering my seventh grade year, we live in Westchester, Ohio. I remember when my mom and dad sat me down, my brother sat down, held my sister because she was little, and told us, broke this 12-year-old's heart that we were moving from Westchester, Ohio, to Winchester, Kentucky. I was a follower of Jesus, man. I wish I could tell you I was mature in my faith, and I believed that the Spirit of God was leading us, and I was on board. But I wasn't. I was angry. They were following God's will. They believed it. Through the reading of God's Word, through the praying, through following the Spirit, they believed it. But I was angry. Even though my cousin, best friend, lived in Winchester, I didn't want to move to Winchester. We moved, and man, I had a poor attitude about it all. And in the moment, I didn't have a clue what God was doing. I just didn't like it. Now fast forward several years where I can look back. Central Baptist Church, located in Winchester, Kentucky, where my mom went when she was little. The people that God placed around my life, that poured into me, loved on me through the preaching of his word, through youth ministry, through that, God calls me into ministry. Could he have done that in Ohio? Yes, but that wasn't his plan. His plan was to do it in Kentucky. By being in Winchester, Kentucky, and I walked through the sermon this week and didn't get emotional once, but I always get emotional up here. I get to meet Ryan, my wife, and I marry her. Fast forward five years later, God blesses us with Landon. We have a son. Does any of that happen in Westchester, Ohio? Nope, because Ryan didn't live there. And if we're not married, Landon doesn't come. So God uses that. In the moment, I couldn't see it. Now, fast forward to 2011. When I'm pastoring a church in Lexington, Kentucky, and God calls us clearly, evidently, to move to take a church in Fruitland Park, Florida. I was excited. My wife, not so much. She knew. We said, I do. I'd already been called into ministry. She knew God could lead us anywhere. We had been in Lexington for five years. Her entire family lives in Winchester, 15 minutes away from Lexington. Her sisters still live in Winchester. Her entire family still lives in Winchester. Her mom and dad live in Lexington. They're all still there. And here I am taking mama's girl 12 hours away to Fruitland Park. Y'all, it was hard. Was it hard? 
it was hard. Those first several, her family got together a lot. My friends would tease me, and I'm going past my time here, but that's all right. Her, her, my friends would tease me because we were always doing family gatherings. Her family was so close. Those first several things that we missed, the July 4th, the Thanksgiving, the random birthdays, it was hard when everybody's there and she's not. She struggled for a while. We look back, and man, we see how God worked, how God worked in our marriage, how God blessed us. But you know the chief thing that God did in Florida? His name is Malachi Hornsby. In January 2, 2016, God, through placing Ryan at a certain job, at a church, in a school that happened to have a women's care center and a pregnancy center, God doing all of these things crosses our path with Malachi so that we adopt Malachi. In the moment, she didn't have a clue. She didn't want to go to Florida. Would you change that for anything right now? No. Now let's fast forward, make it even a little more personal. Let's fast forward to 2019. When God, through his sovereign working, leads us to Northside Baptist Church in Noonan. Now those of you who have joined since I've been here don't know a lot of this. But those of you who were here, y'all went through a couple rough years. A couple rough years where you would have had every right to say, God, what in the world are you doing? We do not understand. It makes no sense. I'll be honest, doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm not going to go into the details, but you all know. But as we stand here, three and a half years later, and we look back, you see the hand and the providence of God. Some people left Northside. New families have come. Many of you have remained. And the Lord has blessed you. He's blessed me. And he has certainly blessed Pastor BJ and where he is at First Baptist Sonora. In the moment, none of it makes sense. And still, honestly, doesn't even make sense to me. But here we are. Why? Because everything God does is holy, wise, and all-powerful. None of this is because of us. Yes, we have free will. God uses our choices, but at the end of the day, this is all because of grace. And here's what I want to say lastly. The insignificant events of your life will turn out to have significant meaning. You may not understand it now, but one day you will. You say, Pastor, that sounds like something you said last week, because I probably did. And I'm going to continue to say it throughout Esther. Why? Because as I already said, this is one of the most important things that we have to understand in our hearts and in our lives. Or you will stay frustrated with God your entire life. God knows what he's doing. It may make zero sense now. Part of my emotions this morning is when I stood up to start preaching, I looked at some of your faces. Some of the things you've gone through in the last six months to a year that I do not understand. I wish God would have done it differently. And some of you have a history and a past. You've gone through some awful, horrific things. But God can take all things and work them together for good. And if you're struggling with that right now, here's what I'm going to say to you. 
If you're struggling with God, what are you doing? You're just having a hard time trusting God. I'm going to ask you to do one of the hardest things maybe you've ever had to do. Go to somebody you trust this week. Somebody in this church who reaches out to you often, who talks to you that you can trust, go to them and sit down with them and say, listen, I'm having a hard time. I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm just asking you to listen and to pray for me and to come walk alongside of me. Because we do not always understand. But at the end of the day, we must believe that God is faithful. He's faithful. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, in this moment, before we sing this final song that reminds us that we're a child of God, a son and daughter of God, Father, we just want to come. We want to lay our concerns and our burdens down to you. Father, you know our history. You know our past. Father, you know the history and the past of Northside. And, Lord, if we're honest, as we look, sometimes we just see the back of that tapestry and it makes zero sense but God you see everything you are the master designer the master weaver and you are weaving all things together for your glory and our good and it is not by accident that we're here this morning so father my prayer is twofold one if anybody here doesn't know you Jesus that their pride is keeping them from repenting of their sins turning of their sins taking hold of Jesus then I pray right now spirit of God that you would come and deal with that pride. Convict them of their sin. Break them. Break their spirit. Break their will right now. That they would see their need for you, Jesus, and would cry out to you to, that you would save them from their sins. That's first and foremost. Father, secondly, these are my people. These are your people. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know life is hard. And we know people are dealing with some stuff right now that's tough. And the temptation, because of our pride, is to isolate, withdraw, keep it in. But Father, help us this week if we're wrestling to open up. To let somebody come into our life to, just to listen, to speak truth when needed and where necessary. And, and Lord, just to do life with us. Because we do not always understand. And we may never be able to fully explain. But God, we all need to be reminded that you're faithful, that you're holy, you're wise, and you're all-powerful. And so, Father, we just rest in that truth right now, and we pray as we sing that you would comfort and encourage our hearts and certainly convict us where needed. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to worship together. The altar's open. If you just want to come pray, just respond as the Lord leads. But he brought me for his love for me. For his love for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Has ransomed his grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died.
give the Lord the praise. You may be seated for just a moment. Uh, just a couple of announcements, most of them related to, to VBS, but VBS starts tonight. Technically, we got the kickoff. If you haven't registered, go ahead and register this afternoon. Um, the announcement about uh, the Children's Baptist Children's Home was sent, I believe, just to the volunteers. So volunteers, you know those items and can begin to prepare uh, for that, but we got hot dogs, inflatables, water, 6 p.m. tonight. Um, if you can come a little bit early to help set up, or I think we got some people that will help set up. If afterwards, if you can stick around and help tear down, that would be huge. There's still probably some need for you to sign up for the break room throughout the week and to make sure the inflatables are manned and that the kids aren't going crazy and doing things that they are not supposed to do. Um, a couple other announcements, upward soccer. Uh, if you have not signed up your child for upward soccer, I would recommend you do that ASAP because we are filling up quick. I'm trying to see how many we had the other day. It was 88 already, and our max, I think, is 120. So sign up. If you haven't signed up, sign up quickly. And then one last thing, NBC's got talent. I look forward to this every year. The time 
the, the, the date, all that stuff is in the bulletin. But if you're going to sing, do any sort of playing an instrument or act out or whatever, some sort of act, you need to let either Tim, Cynthia, or Curtis, you got three people you can notify. Let them know. Let them know quickly. We want to have a full night of entertainment. And uh, so thank you for being here this morning. Let me just say, I think part of the reason maybe I was so emotional is I am blessed to pastor some of the most amazing people on this planet. And I would put Northside up against any other church. And uh, I'm so thankful in God's providence that he has led me every step of the way and brought me here. So just want you to know, um, I love you. And if you're looking for a church, I don't think you're going to find a better one than Northside. And if you're interested in joining, please come see me. You can go ahead and clap for each other. Just come see me, and I would love to talk to you um, about membership and what that looks like. All right, Larry Chappelle, who happens to be my deacon, who takes great care of me, is going to come and close us, and my family is going to come close us with a word of prayer. You want to hold this microphone, or you want to? There you go. If you'll stand, let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Unfortunately, Aaron and his family uh, drew the short straw for me to be, to be their deacon. <clears throat> but please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together today in praise and worship of an awesome God. And dear Lord, we just pray that your spirit be upon us this week as we uh, go through this Bible school event. Dear Lord, we know this, this building will be full of children and their parents. And we do know, dear Lord, that through the course of the week, your word will be spoken unto them. Dear Lord, we pray that you plant these seeds deep into their heart, not only of the children, but also of, those, of their parents, and that this church can come alongside and just... Water that seed, help that seed to grow, and that that seed will bear fruit, dear Lord. Just be with the workers this week. Lord, we pray that you give them strength, you give them perseverance, and just fill them with your spirit. For we pray all these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.